Podcast listeners, how's it going? Welcome to the Nana Reef Podcast. My name is Alonzo, and I am your terrible host and your tour guide through the next grueling 40 minutes of misery. Just kidding. It's not going to be that horrible of a podcast, even though I'm just sitting down and doing this freelance style. So I had a busy week. It was a holiday week, a lot of retail, a whole lot to talk about. So I guess in this podcast, talk a little bit about a, a couple articles, YouTube videos that were kind of inspiring to me, and I'll talk about coral fragging and aquaculturing, and then I'll leave you guys uh, be for the rest of the week, and hopefully I'll produce another one of these babies later on, but on to the show. So last week was um, pretty busy for me, 4th of July, and everyone gets busy in retail, so I got to neglect my tanks just a little bit, and really... When I say neglect, I like go an extra day, maybe without cleaning a filter sock or two or three or four. Maybe I don't get both feedings in during the day, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't clean the glass, every, you know, twice or three times a week. So that, that's where I ignore the tank. Maybe I'll let the auto top off run dry. No, I didn't do this time, surprisingly. But I had the power go out on the 4th of all things, an early start to the troublesome July month. My power went out from sometime that evening till the next morning. So a good window, at least about 12 hours. And how I knew, well, I was at my buddy's house, partying up for the 4th of July, as everyone does. Their power went out. I'm like, huh, I wonder if my power went out. So I checked the weather, and the storm looked like it was more above my house than his. I'm like, damn it. So I pulled out my phone, fired up the uh, Apex Fusion dashboard, and what do you know, I can't connect to any of the Apexes in the house. I'm like, well, that means one of two things. The power is out, or the internet's down probably the power. I mean, obviously it's the power. So, you know, I hung out for about another 10, 15 minutes and I left. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to go deal with this disaster. Get home. Sure enough, the power's out. Now, my preparedness for the power's out is really just air-powered battery backups. I have like four of them and a pack of D batteries. So, you know, I have this long air line and I cut maybe a seven-inch piece of PVC. So I run the, the, I run the air line the airstone, this is the end of the airline, runs through the PVC and all the way up to the little battery battery. So it sits at the bottom of the tank, and I fire that on, and that's what I do. Now, if it's the winter and the power's out and I have to control temperature, I'm pretty much screwed. But in Pittsburgh, normally it's not hot enough out. Cooling the tank down is typically never an issue because, you know, I could either open a window if it's the, you know, 70s, even sometimes low 80s, and I'll be okay to get some airflow, but normally it's not that hot and I could just not do a thing. And without the equipment running, the tank naturally drops temperature, but it doesn't drop enough where like I have to be worried. So it makes it easy. No, no losses for me this time. You know, luckily I bought these air powered and I do have battery backups for like my, my gyre, which I don't even use anymore. So I have a bad extra one of those and I have a battery backup for my MP10. So if I wanted to fire those on, which they already automatically kick on if they're plugged in, they would be on. The only downside is I don't I don't have anything for my return pump, or at least at least my circulation pump in the sump would be nice because there's so many baffles. Like where do you stick your air stone to keep air to keep water movement in your sump? And really, the only fear about that, like that stagnant water, could build ammonia or or, or different bad pollutants, bad things could can come of the stagnant water. I don't have enough air stones. I would need like 20 air stones to spread apart my entire sump. So 
in the near future, I really need to find a way to power my to power my circulation pump and my sump, and that would be that would be pretty useful. But what I did is, and the next morning, honestly, I threw a cap full of Prime in my sump and let that circulate a little bit, and then I let that let it go right up into the display. Like I, I wasn't gonna do anything. I probably should have done a water change, but it was a hol- it was a holiday, and you know when you work retail. You don't get as much time to play around, so I didn't. I didn't really have time to do too much. And and honestly, a, a reef tank can survive quite some time without water flow. You would be very surprised at how hardy everything is. Like my Pico, I do 100% water changes. I mean, those corals are exposed to air for like two minutes before I fill that tank right back up again. And on the the reef, on the tide pools, the same thing happens. Like they get in their little tide pockets, and sometimes corals are exposed for an hour. Or longer, and they're used to that. It's normal. But even when you're in a tide pool, you know there's no more water moving. And there's the wind, but typically, you know that 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 little area stays stagnant or very very little water flow for however long the tide lasts, and then it goes back to the normal ocean smashing and raging around. So the tank the tanks really can they can handle no water flow for an extended period of time. It's really oxygen oxygenation temperature that are, that are the ones you want to kind of keep control of. So that was my disaster of the week. My bulk reef supply box came. I ordered, oh, shoot. So here's how busy a holiday week is for me. Ready? I just realized now on the podcast, oh, God, what a terrible week. So I'm going to have to try to file a claim with bulk reef supply. If you're listening and you work on bulk reef supply, remember this moment. Oh, crap. I ordered uh, glue. I ordered glue the extra thick, which is my favorite, and I ordered a new filter kit, and I totally forgot. I opened the box, just to make sure everything was there, because my last bulk reef supply order, UPS screwed us, and I I will blame UPS. So I just double-checked this time, and everything was in there, but there was a cut in the deionized resin bag. But it's also sealed, so I don't know if it... It might be fine, because it's sealed within a bag, but I don't plan on using it anytime soon. I guess that's the problem, so... I don't know. I was going to email him like, hey, I think this will be okay, but you know, just let me know if it's not. And then if it's not, I'd, I'd like another one. Definitely not my fault. I totally forgot to email him. And I've had this delivered for like a week. So they probably won't do anything about it, but yeah, we'll see. I'll let you know how awesome Bulk Reef Supplies customer service is. But I'm honest with you, it's already awesome. Like I've had lots of issues with them and they've taken care of me every time. Now I've spent my f- half my salary there over the course of the years. Like, for example, the Aquaforest 123, the component 123 jugs don't ship very well. Like, I, the first time I ordered, the box fell right through the flimsy cardboard box that came in, and they had to resend it. But the second time, they, they it was on a standalone box, so it worked out really well, and I got it. But just an example. Bulk Reef Supply is awesome. Moving on. What else happened? Oh, so I got to mount my frags. I neglected my tank. It sucks. So I'll clean my glass. Maybe at some point this week I'll I'll mount all my frags and take a look at what that looks like. But yeah, things are growing. I gotta refill my dosing containers up. I'm getting pretty low on that. Luckily I have extra. I need to do a updated YouTube video or, or some video or some media. I'll take some pictures for Instagram later today, but I have some pretty badass frags I got them out, and I got the glue for it. I didn't have glue, I ran out. Most of them are zoanthids. Most are some really crazy zoanthids. I don't really know where I'm mounting those yet, but I'll I'll figure that out and I'll get that done soon and do an updated tank shot. I will say, even with a summer neglect, the tank's doing pretty, pretty well. With an aside of the aside of me attempting to get into Acropora and Acropora hating me, the everything else is growing. Like 
growing like weeds. Like my monopora, ugh, it's terrible how fast it's growing. And I've had this, uh, my first coral is still in my tank. Well, not my very first coral, but my first like serious reef tank coral. When I mean serious reef tank, the first time I actually bought a serious reef light, whatever your serious reef light is, it was a Kessel A160, was my serious reef light. For some people, it might be a T5 or a metal halide or a radion, you know, if you're that crazy. But when you upgrade from like the blue fluval strips, your compact fluorescent that came with your tank, I got a Kessel A160 and I got this Aiken and Kanata that was kind of rainbowy. It was really green and then teal with an orange splash. And I thought like that was awesome. There's some orange in there. Got some different patterns. I've had the thing for years and it's now it's starting to grow. Like it's it's probably gotten like eight or nine heads since the new tank got set up. So it's really like showing its strut right now and looking pretty nice. It's actually taken out one of my monoporas because they're uh, battling it out on the same rock. So I got some really good growth going on despite me ignoring the tank. Not everything's growing. That's the story of a mixed reef. If you're going after one thing and you're focusing on one thing, typically those species are really fine with each other and they don't battle each other. All the parameters are relatively the same. So you could focus on one type of parameter and everything will be happy. Last week, I opted to add way more flow to my tank. I put a, a maxi jet in the back, like a six, 400 and pointed it down. And I had my two tonsies in there and my return pumps. So I'm probably looking anywhere in the neighborhood of like, three, four thousand gallons per hour in the main display, just like churning around. And that's a lot of flow. Now I'm bare bottom, so I don't want any of the food to collect. And I didn't do my weekly filter sock because it was so busy. So I have this mountain of fish shit gathered next to my zoanthid island that I need to then siphon out. So normally what I do is on a water tame jet, I just siphon the bottom of the bare bottom. But when I'm midway through the week, I start a siphon into my filter sock and I'll suck up any detritus and then I'll go in the filter sock and then I'll change my filter socks. Never got around to it. So I got this. You would think it's a small colony of fish shit is what it looks like, but it's not. So the, today's tank maintenance day. I'll get all that done and it'll be done and over with and I'll be happy again. But as far as my main display, I'm pretty happy with it. I might need to pick up a couple more corals. I think I'm legendary coraled out in the main tank. I'm not going to lie. Like those guys own almost all the real estate. And as long as the, the high-end favias that I have in there grow... I'll be happy. Like I'll I'll end up fragging probably the next couple months a piece of my uh, my Gonzo's spicy lemonade. I think that's what it's called. Gonzo's spicy Fabia. Gonzo's spicy lemonade. I don't remember which one, but um, it's in the cube and it's it's. I bought it a frag this size and now it's I'd say five inches across, four inches across. So I might break off a frag of that and move it to my main display because that thing is gorgeous. But other than that, there's not really any hit lists on the radar from them that I need to pick up. If anything, some high-end Acropora, if I can get them to stick. Like, I bought a Justin Fox Fox Flame, and it died. And I, it could be my fault. Like, I got a couple, I got a couple frags from him, and they didn't, I don't think, I think I have one left. Oh, that's so depressing. I think I have one left. But again, it's all about stability. I, I think during that time frame, I was introducing a lot to the tank, and I was trying to figure out a lot of things, and my feeding schedule was off. Ugh, so depressing when you when you lose corals. I think on my hit list, I think if I order again, it'll probably be a Jason Fox order. Or I might get another order from Aqua SD. And the only reason why I would get an, another order from Aqua SD is because I want... They have a lot of uh, Luviapora, Alevapora, I think that's what it's called. 
Alavapora. I'm really bad with these pronunciation of corals, but essentially it's just a hardier Ganiapora. It's, it's, it looks similar to Ganiaporia, it's just not a Ganiapora. And I'm doing, I did terrible Ganiapora. I had Ganiapora in my cube, and just like everyone says, it lasted six months. No growth, just hung out for six months, and then slowly started to die. My current Alavapora, if I'm saying this wrong, you could go ahead and uh, troll me at the end of this, but it's actually getting attacked by my Rhodactus mushroom, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't put them in this tank. I like the I like the movement. I could put hammers in my cube. The cube is just becoming an annoying amount of work. Maybe I'll just take the cube down. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe I will. You never know. Who knows what I'm going to do next? But maybe I'll place an order with them soon. Anyways, totally off ranting on with the podcast, which is good because it fills minutes, but it's bad because if you're listening, you might have turned it off while you're trying to do your water change because you're not getting anything informal from me other than coral problems that I'm having. I don't even know where I'd find corals, just because of the local fish stores. And like, I went to Rap, and leading up to Rap, I didn't buy anything, because I knew I'd go to Reef of Palooza. I would normally, I like, so let me back up. I would normally scout out what I could find locally. If I could find something local, you know, support your local fish store, I would. I gotta go back to the Ballast Internet, which is upsetting. But I do like a couple companies, like I've, I've grown faithful from ordering from the same people multiple times that I trust them. But the problem is industry scare we're dealing with is affecting everybody. Like I didn't realize that because I spent about a month off from going to local fish stores prior to Reefapalooza. And then I went to Reefapalooza and there was plenty of coral to buy from. And then I came back and I, I had like a little hit list. I needed an emerald crab and I needed, I, I thought about getting a Watchman Gobi because my cube, the, the sand bed of my cube just needs constantly played with and no one will touch it. The The cube consists of, just so everyone's aware, a handful of Tremagobis. One of my favorite fish, very small, about an inch long at the most, brilliant gold eyes with like a red white striped body. And they, they just perch and they dart in and out. They're very nice. I hope I could breed them. If I ever get into breeding, that, that's the thing I want to try to breed. I want to focus on them. But anyways, then I also have a, a, a Rassi, a, a Flasher Rassi, and a Possum Rassi. That's that's the whole tank. That's all I got. Nothing that sifts the sand. I have a Blue Urchin in there, a Royal Blue Urchin. And he was because, and I had some crazy algae going on, because I feed the tank heavily. Like, I had non-photosynthetic, I had Gargonians, a lot of softies, a lot of mushrooms, a lot of Favia. And then towards the top, I have some encrusting monopores. That's kind of what I went with. And I like I like what I'm going with. My sand bed just gets ugly because no one will touch my sand bed. No matter how many snails I buy, I buy 30 snails, a bunch of mini little, like in a good variety, especially the, the sand, the, like the Nasaris and the Trochus snails, and no one touches the sand bed. Or if they do, and then they'll just die because there's, there's not enough food once I get the right amount. So I wanted to get like a creature, thought about a yellow watchman goby. So I went hunting if I could find a baby one. Because I don't want to fish bully in my tank. Like, all my fish are small or very shy. Like, this is this is a predator tank's dream. Because no everybody is afraid of everybody else already. If you add one bully in that tank, it all hell will break. And I also wanted an emerald crabber, too. Because in my um, main tank, I, I've, I added one new piece of dry rock. Two, actually, when I set it up. And I set it up and I started feeding really heavy to prevent that clean tank syndrome that you get like when you do a transfer and then I dialed back. You know, I just tried to do the unhealthy balancing act. And I got an algae. I got what I think is green turf algae. 
I know, green turf algae. So how did I decide it was green turf algae? Well, there's a website called reefcleaners.org and they have a nuisance algae ID guide. And it, it is kind of helpful and it kind of gives you what uh, what their remedies are for a lot of these nuisance algaes. And you can actually buy cleanup crews off them for your tank. And I have ordered off John before. Um, so, you know, I have placed orders from him and had great success. And it's, it's really cheap. Like your local fish store, and not everyone, this is just mine, I'm just going to example. Um, sometimes they sell snails for two to two fifty a piece. Let me just scroll up to John's uh, cleanup crew. You can do custom cleanup crew, or you can buy stuff individually. I did this wrong. Yeah, cleaner package is what I was looking for. So I'm just gonna do a price range. So for like twenty bucks. Now it says it's for a 10, 10 gallon tank. For a ten gallon tank for twenty dollars, you get ten surfs, three Nisara snails, six Florida surf. Yeah, you get. I mean, you get twenty snails. You get 20 snails for $20. It's a dollar a piece. And, and there are a variety of snails too, which is pretty awesome. Now you could go up to like, like I have a a 40-gallon cube, 38-gallon cube, and he recommends in the neighborhood of like, oh my God, thousands of snails. No, it's not thousands of snails. It's 40, 40 surfs. Maybe that's why I don't, maybe that's why I don't have any luck in my tank because I don't have enough snails. Like he's recommending like a ton of snails for this tank, but... Anyway, so I was going to get a Watchman Gobi, and then I wanted an Emerald Crab, because on here, it, he said that uh, for that turf algae, Emerald Crabs are one of the few things, or urchins, but urchins mess with corals, and this tank has like 400 corals in it, so it's like, I'll get an Emerald Crab, and I've had luck with Emerald Crabs in the past. Like, I've always had an Emerald Crab in my tank. I think I lost this one somewhere in the transition, so I went and I picked up two. They are working hard. I tell you what, I have a lot of white rock in my tank right now because they are just scraping away whatever was on top of the rot work and they're eating it up and I'm, I'm pretty happy to see that. I have a lawnmower blendy and I have a bristletooth tang. So you'd think between the emerald crabs, the lawnmower blendy, the bristletooth tang, the snails, and the uh, micro brittle starfish, we could get the nutrients under control. But apparently all of them are not able to combat an algae. They are now. We'll see what they do now. But I was looking for, looking for these guys and went to my first store and they were closed. And I was like, damn it, like, why are they closed? Summer hours. And I know the industry slows down in the summer. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go to my next store. So I go to the next store. The next store had five or six display tanks that normally what, what they do is they have like a an aquascape display Red Sea Reefer and they set their coral colonies they get in and they price them on the, on the glass. They were all empty. Like they had nothing. And the frag tank they have, which is huge, like it's maybe eight feet, wide by 10 foot long, maybe more. It had like 30 frags in it, that's it. Like they were out of coral and they had very, very little fish. And it really sunk into me right then and there what's going on in Indonesia and Hawaii where they're just not exporting corals. And it's crazy to think so quickly did that impact home. And I think the real crazy part about it is I went to Reef of Palooza, so I saw so many corals, and I even saw some of the bigger, chunky colonies, even though that's not what I was interested in. So, like, if I wanted them, I, I could have bought them. I didn't I didn't want them. But to come home and see empty tanks and, you know, a retail store that's closed, I'm not saying that had anything at all to do with it, but you just start wondering in your head, like, well, if you don't have product, why are you open? Like, everyone needs equipment, but you don't buy equipment every day, you know, you buy coral more often and fish and fish food more often than you buy your tank and your your light and your power head it was just shocking to me to see that and you know I, I like to support local businesses and 
it sucks that there are some businesses that could go out of business because of what's going on in Indonesia. If you're on Reef to Reef, Dr. Mack from Pacific Aquaculture has a really good thread that he's kind of talking about and putting articles that have to do with what's going on. And it seems like he has some pretty cool contacts over there. He does travel, pick out corals, per se, from a lot of the growers and from a lot of harvesters. So he definitely has contacts and, you know, he's concerned for the well-being of some of the companies in the industry. But there are people that are doing bad practices and maybe this will wean them out. It's just interesting to see multiple countries doing this similar thing. And it's scary. It's scary for the what what could come of our industry, you know? And we don't really know. We don't know what the long-term impact. You know, just a short period, six months, could wipe out a lot of fish stores. There are other places in the world to get corals. And a lot of people are doing a lot of good things to aquaculture corals. But the supply and demand is the real problem. You know, when certain things get so high because they're in such limited supply, a lot of hobbyists might venture off to another hobby because they can't afford it anymore. Now, I really do believe wholeheartedly that this day and age, there's enough people aquaculture and corals, and we know enough about corals and frags that we will be fine, and we could almost self-sustain ourselves in a couple years. Will we continue to find the rare one-off corals that are six different colors that are ripped right out of the ocean, or, you know, no, but, you know, our, I think our generic strands of corals are everlasting at this point outside of the ocean. Our leather corals, our Kenya trees, a lot of our zoanthids, a lot of our monoporas that are encresting, a lot of our hammers and our branching hammers for sure. Like there's so many corals that we've successfully propagated and we've successfully propagated over multiple generations that I feel like this hobby will never go away. If anything, it'll be, it'll be in the hands of the hobbyist and not in the ocean, which is the right thing to do, but it's not going away. On to my next little snippet. But I did want to mention the next level of coral propagation, I guess, is being able for them to reproduce themselves. And it's a very hard thing to do. So if you're a huge coral nerd like me, I'll talk about things that are so generic and easy and you're like, oh my God, why are we talking about this? I'll talk about things that I don't even understand myself and I hope you get excited to hear about it. But this video that the Neptune Systems put on their YouTube pages is an interview from Richard Ross. And Richard Ross is a scientist and he works at the California Academy of Sciences. Um, he's a marine biologist, obviously. And he has an Acropora spawning project. So spawning in aquariums is very rare. I think the most common thing I've seen or read about in aquarium spawning is rock flower anemone. As you all know, Acropora, and I complain about it a lot, are difficult to, to grow as it is. And they're very finicky. They don't ship really well. They have pests that are specific to them, like Acropora eating flatworms. They're they're just they're a very difficult species to, to keep and to, to continue to grow long term. And sometimes they just die overnight. Like there's a person on the forums whose tank I follow and he's had a beautiful SBS tank for years with I'd say at least a dozen or so Acropora colonies. When I say colonies, I mean they're like anywhere between five and ten inches across, and maybe two to three inches thick, like huge, branched out, bushy colonies, and he had one die recently. My first thought was like, dude, if this dies, they're all gonna die. But one species, bleached in like two days, died, and everything else stayed just fine. I don't understand that. He actually snipped 
pieces off that before the bleaching ever got to it, the art, the STN, and uh, kept some frags. I don't remember if his frags are still alive or not, but I find it so fascinating that that's how delicate these species are, and this video talks about people spawning them, which is, is blowing my mind even more. And when you think about like the progression of our hobby, Acropora are really slow-growing corals. Even people that are able to grow them like weeds will only get a few inches out of them a year, and that's people that are doing really well. Most, I feel like most people get an inch a year, especially the first year, and then they actually start to see some decent growth, but they don't see, it's not like a zoanthid where one polyp in one year turns to 10 polyps, which turns into 40 polyps the next year. That's just not how how a an SBS acropora coral works. So, I mean, if you, if you have an, an aquaculture facility or you're trying to aquaculture at home, for, from a profitability standpoint, acropora is just really hard to do because... If it takes that long to gain that much growth, it's only every year you could take maybe, I don't know, six frags off of the coral. I mean, six frags a year isn't that great without damaging the mother colony. And maybe maybe you go replant those six frags and let them grow into colonies, and then you have seven colonies, but then that's like six years. It, it It's just time-consuming. And this Richard Ross video is amazing because it talks about acropora spawning and how you got to watch it. I can't explain it. It's, it's a half an hour video. He basically spawns Acropora coral. He gets hundreds of little baby Acropora scattered across a tank on rock and frag plugs that within a year will become little nubs, little encrusting nubs. And that to me, that's awesome because if we could replicate that more often, that's like an unlimited supply of Acropora coral for our industry. And I don't mean unlimited, but you could do something and it takes a year and you get 300 nubs of Acropora and then, of course, it needs to sit another year before you get about an inch. Well, three, two years for 300 one-inch Acropora frags is pretty good in a self-sustaining at-home tank. Great video. Definitely check it out. And I hope, I hope we see more videos like this, and I hope more people at home, definitely not me, but more people at home dive into propagation and how they could propagate their corals through coral sex, I guess really is what they're doing there, a coral spawning project, but coral fragging is another easy way, just for that particular species, I feel like the return on investment just isn't as good. On to corals that you can frag, so I'm in the 30 minute mark, I don't want to talk too much longer, I don't want to bore you, but I will say my next tip, advice, thought that I would like to see more people do is set up a frag tank, and a frag tank can be done really easily. My frag tank that's in front of me, actually where I'm from my podcast, is a Petco 20-gallon long tank. It's just a 20-gallon long. I bought a Petco for $20 during the dollar-per-gallon sale. Minimal investment. A frag tank is not designed to look like this great, wonderful thing. There are much nicer frag tanks, but you want to talk a cheap setup. The four-cube organizers, the ones that are thick, like the one-inch, inch-and-a-half thick particle board ones, you can get those at Walmart or Target for under $40. The top of them is... Sl just as long and slightly larger than a gallon long Petco tank and it fits perfectly right on top so that that's my setup $40 stand and a 20 gallon tank so 50 bucks standard tank I have a simple hang on back overflow and some generic power heads in the tank and then I'm running a single Kessel A160 now I could get fancy with the lighting but that's pretty much it there's also a heater obviously you need a heater and there's some random dry rock in there, but that's, that's it. It's a simple setup. So for 
everything but the light, you're under $100 investment. And you can go smaller than this. I mean, if you're really trying to frag corals, you, you want big space. But I'll be honest with you, I've never been able to even get near filling up this 20-gallon long. I have like, ooh, I'm counting now, like 15 frags in here. That's it. So you really don't need to go crazy for a frag tank. But what I like about it is just trading back and forth. And often you find that you have a coral in your tank that is growing all too well. Like my red slash pink monopora is just growing vibrantly. I'm able to pluck them off randomly and glue them on frag plugs and does nothing to my tank. So it's nice to share that coral with other people. And if they have something else I want, then I'll, I'll easily take it. I think that's the beauty of our hobby and something we definitely need to do more. We don't do it enough, but if we're going to be sustainable and avoid this crisis in Indonesia, we'll really keep the hobby going long term. We should propagate corals and don't overthink a frag tank. You know, if you're not putting fish in it, I'm not going to say you don't need the redundancies in it, but you just don't have to put that much effort into it. I don't even have an auto top off system. I just manually top it off twice a week. That's it. And I don't feed the tank anything. Actually, what I do, and this is pretty funny, when I feed the display tanks, I rinse out the cup. And I mean feed, I mean coral feed. Like I'll put coral food in, in a little cup with salt water and then I'll, I'll broadcast feed. I'll rinse the cup in my frag tank. So a little bit of the, the food comes out and goes in the water, but I'm not like dumping food in a tank that only has like four, four frags. That's it. Easy to take care of. You can get coral cutting kits on... Every website for pretty cheap, you know, they have little kits of tools that come with a bone cutter and a scalpel and some scissors. And then you can get coral glues pretty cheap. A lot of people just use regular super glue. I like the extra thick stuff because, you know, when you're mounting a coral, it just makes it a lot easier. And then some dip, some coral dip. And that's pretty much my whole setup. I have some plastic Sterilite. I don't know what they are. They're small shoe boxes for Sterilite. And I use those when I dip corals. So I'll put everything in there and I'll put my dip. And typically any day I'm messing with corals, I'll make a, a new fresh batch of five gallon salt water so I could fill one or two of those up so I could do like a, to rinse off any of the chemicals that would be left from the dip. Which, I mean, the chemical, the dips are all natural. Like I, I'm pretty sure Revive is like a citrus oil mix. But, you know, it's good to just rinse that off one more time and try to break off anything that would have fallen from the dip into the tank. And, and that's as simple setup as it is. And I don't, I don't mess with it too often. Like I have a little frag rack in there and whenever, you know, I, I, my zoanthids are doing really well, or I need more room, I'll, I'll pop off a coral and put it in my frag tank, or I'll, you know, propagate, I'll snip off a zoanthid head, glue it on a, on a plug and throw it in there for a while and let it kind of grow out so I have another strain of it. And it's especially nice with coral warfare. I think I've learned that more so now than ever, because especially zoanthids, I've lost a lot of zoanthids that have grown because other corals have taken them over. So I have like some original red death eaters i guess what's they're called it's like a red polyp with a lime green mouth or eye in the center and i have them i had them on a gsp island but the gsp grew up over top of them so i don't i don't have them why i still have them but you don't see them so when the lights were out one day i went and i, I snipped them at the base and i glued them on a frag plug so now they'll grow out and i'll be able to if i want to replant that strain somewhere else you know now i have it again makes it nice and some corals just grow so well that you could propagate them all the time. So I have a colony of utter chaos and these insane, like, Twizzler paleontoas. And every, literally every three months on the dime, I go ahead and I snip a couple of those out, glue them on frag plugs, and give them away. Because they just grow so well for me. I think they're really gorgeous corals. And now you have a place that you can grow them out outside of your main tank. 
I just don't think a frag tank is meant to be this massive uh, endeavor. Definitely keep it simple. The worst if you somehow neglect your main tank for your frag tank. And the point isn't to go out and, and fill it up with corals. Definitely when you get a coral, it's great to quarantine it first, throw it in your frag tank. But ideally, you know, it's your overflow. It's when stuff gets out of hand to your main display. Or, worse comes to worse, you just don't like something, you buy it and have buyer's remorse, you could move it over and then trade it off or sell it to somebody else and pick up something new. So, I think everybody's next step should be doing a frag tank. I actually didn't set up a frag tank until really later on. I had three tanks running before I ever set up a frag tank, and I regret not making just a frag tank the second thing I set up. So, definitely a, a great, great even a toolbox in the reefer's uh, bag of tricks because a frag tank could easily be con converted to a quarantine tank if worse comes to worse, you know, you get rid of your frags and you have fish, sick fish in there. Sure, you know, if you have to treat it with chemicals, you're not going to be able to use that rock again, but at least it's ready to go. Or if, you know, for some reason something happens, you have to transfer something over, you know, you get what I'm saying. I guess that's about it for the podcast. It's short, it's sweet, it's 30 minutes, it's focused on coral propagation and fragging and spawning. It's a pretty important topic in the hobby, in my opinion, right now, because if we're not all doing it, we're probably not all doing the right things. It's definitely the future of the industry, if done right. Everybody should have a frag tank, or at least everybody should get comfortable fragging. I guess that's my, uh, my point. If uh, you have any questions, shoot me a message. I'm definitely going to post some pictures up soon, and I'll definitely do another podcast this week. But uh, until then, enjoy your tanks, get some sun, have fun, figure out something that you could frag in your main tank. Till then, catch you later.